All right. If you guys have a Bible, you can open that to Luke chapter 10. It's also printed. The passage we're looking at is printed in your bulletin this week. Um, many of you have been to my house, and um, when you've come to my house, you have been served by my two-year-old, Abby. Um, she has a play kitchen that's right next to the real kitchen in our house, and when people come over, she starts cooking and making drinks for them. Uh, she has a tiny wooden Keurig that makes coffee. It doesn't really make coffee, but it looks like it, and she loves to break that out for the guests, uh, and she's quite a little host for her age. Um, but as we watch her do this, when people come to the house, uh, we've noticed a pattern. At first, serving people the coffee in her little cups is an incredible delight to her. She loves to see people and give them multiple cups of coffee. Um, she wants to bring you a beverage, see you enjoy it, and then bring you some more over and over again. Uh, but after a while, the novelty starts wearing off. And she becomes distracted. Um, whether by her own repetition of doing it all over and over again, or feeling the pull maybe to play with something else, or losing the attention of the people that are there because they're doing something else, after a while she just becomes sort of anxious. And you can tell that she gets frustrated. And this distraction leads her to being angry sometimes, and frustrated, or even obsessive-compulsive about doing certain things. Um, it's like she... She loved what she was doing, but suddenly she loses her focus. She decenters from the delight that she had before. Did you struggle to find delight in your life? Do you struggle when you serve other people to become decentered, to move away from what gives you joy? Do you find yourself after a while distracted from joy? Well, the passage we're going to read today um, is one all about that very issue. It's Luke chapter 10. I've told a few of you this week that we were going to, uh, I was going to teach through the passage on uh, Mary and Martha, and I got the same reaction from everybody. <sighs> uh, because I think we all feel that sense that uh, I'm a little more Martha than I'm comfortable with, right? So uh, if you will, let's read the passage together. Beforehand, let me pray and ask God to open our hearts up to it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are um, very grateful for your word. We're very thankful for the way you, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you dealt with people and showed them what is good and right and true, sometimes in ways that challenged and are painful. Uh, and we know today, many of us that have heard this passage before know that it is going to trouble us. So I pray that uh, we would take that seriously, that you would probe deeply into our hearts today. Help us to be exposed a little and help us to cling to you, to sit at your feet for relief. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. And it says this, now they went on their way. This is more than likely Jesus and his disciples. They went on their way and Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed them into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus 
and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Um, This morning, I got up an hour before everyone else. It was daylight savings time, so I got up at the same time I got up every day. Um, But everybody else slept an hour longer. Um, And when I came down, uh, here's what needed to be done when I arrived in the kitchen. Um, The dishwasher needed to be unloaded. Uh, Some furniture needed to be put back in its place because we had some people visiting yesterday. Coffee needed to be made. The clocks all needed to be reset. Um, And some stuff on the deck needed to be uh, wiped off and covered. And I got the dishwasher about halfway unloaded when I remembered what I was preaching on today. Um, (laughs) And I woke up, I'm Martha. Um, But I remembered Mary. Um, So before the day sort of took hold of me, I reluctantly went to sit at Jesus' feet. Have you ever faced a similar dilemma in your life? Maybe you feel that tension most of your days. Uh, It would be tempting to look at this passage and think that Jesus doesn't want people to be busy serving him. But rather just to sit around and listen to him all the time. That's really the way we come across. It comes across to us. But this section of scripture is much more about the condition of our insides than our performance. Um, It's far more about our inner disposition towards Jesus than our outward service of him. It is another illustration of how we are root, what we are rooted in will inevitably bear fruit in our lives. I want you to remember that. That's a pretty important thing to remember. What you're rooted in in your life will inevitably bear fruit in your life. If you're rooted in the idol of accomplishment or pride or self-improvement, you're going to live that out in your life. But if your first priority is connection with God then you're going to sit at Jesus' feet. And that is going to have an effect on the way you live your life. Root leads to fruit. And that's an important biblical theme for us to remember as we plant this church. Root leads to fruit. Whatever you sink your roots down into, that's what is going to bear fruit in your life. And we most certainly will lose our way if we become distracted from the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. So sitting at Jesus' feet must be the first priority for Christ the King. I'm going to say it again. Sitting at Jesus' feet must be a first priority of Christ the King. Now, the passage that we're reading today is probably not in chronological order. There are some things that have happened previously in Luke, um, and there are going to be some things that happen later in Luke. And this seems, most commentators agree, to be out of place. Um, In the previous chapters of Luke, Jesus is far away from Jerusalem which is the capital, and it appears that he doesn't start his journey to the capital until later in the book, chapter 11 or chapter 17. Now, Mary and Martha live in a little town called Bethany, which is very near Jerusalem. So it seems that Luke has taken this story and plopped it in a different place in the book to make a point. Um, And what is that point? 
Well, just before this passage, there is another famous teaching that Jesus has about the Good Samaritan. Okay, I don't know if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable um, about a man who cares for his neighbor when two other passers-by would not care for their neighbor. So it would be easy to leave that parable that he had just taught his disciples thinking how important it is to serve God by caring for others all the time. And as important as service is, Jesus tells the story of Mary and Martha to make sure his readers remember that something very important must come before our service. Something very important must come before we serve God, and that is adoration of Jesus. Complete enthrallment of him, knowing him, must come first. Um, He is teaching us that what we are rooted in will lead to fruit in our lives. Jesus wants us to understand that the thing we worship will inevitably lead to what you serve. Now, I want you to think about that. What you're worshiping in your life, what you adore, what you love, what you get defensive about, what you care about, what occupies your mind most of the time is what you're going to serve in your life. And that's why he, carry, he calls Mary's act of worship the good portion. He wants to keep adoration and love of Jesus at the center of your life. It's the first priority. After all, it's the first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when we read this story, let's get into it a little bit. When we read this story, three questions are kind of prompted in the reader's mind, all right? And they're pretty simple. You've probably thought of them as we read it. The first question is, uh, what did Martha do wrong? Okay? And then the second question is, what did Mary do right? And then the third question is, why is he telling me this story? All right, so I'm going to look at those three questions. Uh, What did Martha do wrong? What did Mary do right? And what does this have to do with us? First of all, what did Martha do wrong? Now, let's start out by saying this. There are quite a few things that Martha does really well, and they are great in the story. All right? Uh, In verse 38, look back with me. I'm going to open up my bulletin so I can... In verse 38, at the very beginning, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered the village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into their house. All right, that's awesome. That's really good that she's welcoming Jesus. And then in verse 40, it says Martha was serving him. Okay, so she was offering service to Jesus. Preparing a meal, more than likely, is what it says. And then later on, when she gets frustrated, she goes to Jesus for help. She asks him to help. So those are not bad things. All right? Nor do we want to be confused into thinking that Jesus is telling Martha that she's doing something wrong by serving or by working. Obviously, we look back throughout the history of Scripture and it's clear that we're supposed to be people who work, right? So what's the problem here? Well, Jesus, as he normally does, points to the inside of Martha. He points to the difficulties within Martha's heart. Look with me at verse 40. In verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. And then we see, uh, he says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. So, here we see that Martha, um, something was going on inside of Martha probably before Jesus ever got there. 
She's distressed. She's distracted. She's anxious. And then he shows up. And I think oftentimes when we read the story, we forget he's probably got 12 guys with him. (laughs) Okay? So now Martha's got to cook dinner for 16 people. All right? So any of you that have cooked dinner for a lot of people know that takes a lot of work. It's challenging, you know. And so these guys show up. Jesus, whom she really adores and thinks well of. And um, what Jesus begins to show us in these comments toward her is that um, there's unhealth under the surface that's triggered by the work that she has to do. Something within her was already broken. And prepping a meal for 16 people just brought it out. Okay, now so can you identify with this, right? Like things inside of you where you feel anxious and stressed and just like circumstances bring it out in your life, right? Um, let's talk for a minute about anxiety and stress. This is, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount too when he tells people do not worry, um, do not be anxious. And the word anxiety here has this definition that's fascinating. It's a sort of parasitic distress um, caused by fear or misfortune. So this distress that's caused in us because we think something may go wrong or something is going to go against us. Um, A a while back, I was preaching a sermon on anxiety, and I I actually wrote on Facebook, what do you think anxiety is? I just asked people to give me a general definition um, of um, what causes anxiety in your life. And one guy snarkily responded to me, the future. Oh, that was funny. He was kind of a jerk for saying it. But it's true. You know, he was not far from the kingdom. Um, because while I appreciated the brevity of his joke, uh, the distress of anxiety is caused when we allow the future to come into the present. Or at least what we think is going to happen into the future to rush into our present accounts of what's happening in our daily lives. It's this distress um, allowing the fear of what could happen in the future. To, to occupy the way we think about what's going on today. Um, here's some examples of what it's like. It's like um, when you let potential problems, like uh, I could make a bad grade on that test, or my boss might be mad at me for this, or we might have to have people over to the house for this reason. You know, when you let that possibility come into the present and cause you to be distressed, right? Um, when a future, a possible future difficulty, you know, we could say, um, you know, like uh, there's a possibility that um, uh, this might go wrong on the vacation and you let it ruin the vacation when it doesn't happen. Right. Um, th- that's the sort of thing that happens is we let the future I- I- impede the present. Um, what might happen in the, in the future makes me not feel OK today. Right. We're not letting truth, we're not letting what's true today influence today. We're letting what might be true in the future influence today. Um, and what we see happening, this is crazy. When, when Martha does this, this inner anxiety inside of her, it, it, we begin to see it how? In the way she relates to people in the passage. But particularly the way she relates to her sister and the way that she relates to Jesus. 
Um, in verse 40, look at what it says again. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, you, you, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. All right, now this is, this is wild. Because she, what she's frustrated with, she's mad at her sister because she feels like her sister has left her to do all the work by herself. Right? You ever felt that way before? Right? Do you have children is the question I should be asking you. Um, I feel this all the time, right? Uh, anger when you're working so hard and others appear just to be sitting around, right? Um, you ask yourself these sort of questions. Now, I want you to, I'm going to ask these questions, and I want you to think about how terrible they are, okay? This is what goes through your mind. How can people be so blind and not want to help? Um, how can people watch me work and not want to help? You see, these kind of questions reveal what really matters to me. And that is, why won't people do what I want? Why won't people get on board with my agenda, right? My agenda is what matters. Martha has an agenda. And, um, and Mary's in the way of getting what she wants, right? And so it affects her relationship with her sister. She's mad at her sister because of this. Do you, have you ever had relational dysfunction in your family because... Um, you have inner anxiety that causes you to be mad at them. And not only does she get mad at her sister, but she gets mad at who else? Jesus, right? Look at what it says uh, in verse 40. He says, she says to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. Martha is so concerned with her own agenda that she tattles on her sister to Jesus. She tells on her sister to Jesus. She's in effect saying to Jesus, why don't you care about me and my agenda? If you cared about me, you would tell everybody to serve me. Think about that. Okay? Think about what it reveals about her heart. She is distressed because she has lost her center. She's not centered on the right thing anymore. All she's thinking about is herself. All she's thinking about is her own way. Um, and she's distressed and um, lost her way because of it. Um, her will is more important than God's will at this point. Now, just think about this. I'm not going to probe, but I just want you to think. I want to think about you, you see how her relationships are revealing what's going on inside of her. What do your relationships reveal about what's going on inside of you? The way you treat your parents, or your children, or your spouse? What do those reveal about what's happening inside of your heart? Um, the way you talk to people, the commitments that you have, the way you use your tongue, what does it reveal about your heart? Well, that sets us up nicely to look at Mary. What did Mary do right here? Um, well, I'm going to tell you two things that she did well um, that, that I think Jesus would affirm. And that, the first is she has really good posture. <laughs> it says that she sits at Jesus' feet. Jesus shows up and she sits down at his feet. All right. Now, obviously, that is a posture of worship, a sign of respect, of dependence, of adoration of, her, of him. And this is the same posture that she will take later in the book. Uh, when she anoints his feet with oil and washes his feet with her hair, you know, uh, she she believes fundamentally that he is great, 
that he is God, that he is to be worshipped, to be listened to, right? And so that is her posture in life. Not one where she can handle things, but where he needs to handle things for her. And then the second thing that that the passage seems to tell us is that she's listening to what he says. She's listening to his teaching. Her first impulse is to draw or to receive from Jesus, not to serve him. Think about that. It's not to serve him, but it's to, to draw from him. She wants connection with him. She wants to abide with him. She wants Jesus more than to impress Jesus. Um, she has chosen what's called the good portion here. That's the word that's used at the end. And it's a play on words because it's, it's a word that describes food. And Mary and Martha is busy making this elaborate meal. And Jesus has said she's chosen the better food, which is his word, right? She's chosen to listen to him. Listening is such an important part of our faith. Um, we need to hear the word of our Lord more than we need to hear other voices. I'm going to say that again. Listen to me. You need to hear God's word more than other voices in your life. Um, it is such an important way that we remain rooted in Jesus. Jesus calls it the one thing that's necessary in this passage, right? To stay connected to him, to listen to his word. And what are the teachings of Jesus? Well, they're elaborate, right? He teaches a lot of things, but the gospel, the good news that he came to proclaim and came to to demonstrate is that he is the king, that we are a sinful mess and we cannot fix ourselves, which this obviously reveals, right? I hope that you're beginning to feel a little of that. Um, And he offers to forgive us and to fix us, to make us what we're meant to be. To make all the sad things about us come untrue. To make us beautiful again. And our response is to follow him. That's what Jesus says over and over again. I am the king. You are a mess and you need a king. Trust me. Believe in me. Follow me. So how are you taking in the words of Jesus? Um, Do you listen to him often in your life? I want you to think about that. Do you listen to Jesus? I once had a friend in college uh, that was uh, really interesting. He's a weird guy. But um, he used to have this uh, philosophy that that is really, uh, I think, is a biblical philosophy. He called it the sponge theory. And basically, he said this happens. He says, all in our, uh, during the course of our lives, we're like sponges, and we're always soaking things up. Wherever we're around, whatever we uh, encounter people in our relationships, we're soaking things up from them. Whatever we watch on TV, soaking it up from it. Whenever we're on the internet, we're soaking things up. Whenever we listen to things, we're soaking it in. And he said, at some point in your life, you encounter trials and suffering and you get squeezed. And when you get squeezed, what you have been soaking up is what will inevitably come out. That suffering is a a revealer of what's inside you. I think that is a very help, but that is what Mary is committed to. She is committed to soaking up the right things, right? She's committed to drawing in what really matters. So that what will be very soon, when she suffers, uh, she will, when she is squeezed, 
uh, this beauty of having a relationship with Jesus will come out. So quickly to end with, what about us? What does this matter to us? Um, well, um, I think there are two things that matter about this. That, that I think the screen, the, the, this passage uh, shouts to you. Okay, Two things very seriously. The first is this, is to listen to Jesus' invitation. Did you notice how he talked to her? When she, she came to him and she was mad, and she even said, you don't care about me. And what he says to her, he says, Martha, Martha. He repeats her names twice. Jesus always does that when he wants to show emphasis, but also when he cares about things. Oftentimes he uses this double reference to, to demonstrate tenderness. And so he says, Martha, Martha. And he tells her what is really good and invites her to what is really good. Um, I want you to just for a second uh, do something strange. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen to just a few invitations that Jesus gives to you. Listen to these. Take heart, my friend. Your sins are forgiven. Come to me, all you who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? You can open your eyes. Will you listen to Jesus' invitation? calls you to sit at his feet. That's the second thing that I think the passage clearly communicates to us is that we should sit at his feet. It needs to be our first place. When we get up, maybe it should be the first place that you run before you unload the dishwasher, before you go about your chores. Do you sit at his feet? This is how we're set free from our sin and our distresses that come and rush at us every day from sin. Ask Jesus to renew you, to restore you. There's a thousand ways to do this. I think you know that. Um, Applications for listening to Jesus just are things like come to church, invite friends to church so they can hear. Take the Bible into your life whether you read it or you listen to it being read. Your phone will read the Bible to you. (laughs) Uh, There are tons of ways for you to take the Bible in. Listen to sermons. There are thousands and thousands of sermons you can listen to. Far better than me, okay? You listen to some. They're very good. Um, Start a new morning devotional rhythm where you get up and you make sitting at Jesus' feet part of your everyday life. Memorize the Bible. Um, Join a discipleship group or a Bible study so that this can become something that you're held accountable to do in your life. Sit at Jesus' feet. He's saying it's the necessary thing. It's the first thing. Um, this morning, when I went outside to sit at Jesus' feet, it was uh, not easy for me. At first, I thought uh, a lot about the half-unloaded dishwasher. It really bothered me. I wanted to go load it, unload the whole thing. Um, but then, after some time, just to pray a bit and read, God calmed me down. And then I thought to myself what I think to myself quite often. 
Why do I keep doing this? Why am I so reluctant to draw near to the thing that I know will give me life every day? This seems to be the daily fight. I know this is good for me, and I don't do it. I know this is good for me, and I try to think of other things to get busy with instead of doing this. And as I'm telling God this, I realize at that moment that I am confessing. I have arrived at the truth once again in my life that I am weak and that I am desperate for God's help. And without Jesus, I won't go to Jesus. Um, I need God to get the good portion, right? I need Him. And I remembered Martha. You know what's really fascinating is that her story doesn't end with Jesus' rebuke here. Later on in chapter 11... Uh, Jesus returns to Bethany when Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, dies. And when he returns, John records two confessions from Martha in chapter 11 of his gospel. Listen to these two things that she says. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Does that sound like an anxious heart? busy heart, a distracted heart. And then she says this, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to save the world. These confessions sound like the words of a woman who had begun to sit at Jesus' feet. Jesus was already changing her. Her roots were leading to fruit in her life. And so here's the question again. It may take time It may be hard. It may be a daily fight for all of us. But will we sit at Jesus' feet? Will we seek the good portion? Let's pray for God to gather us to his feet more and more as Christ the King grows. Okay? Let's pray and ask him now. Father, uh, we are so grateful for this message that... um, you give us in telling us the story about these two ladies. You were so kind to show us the good portion, the one thing that's necessary. And we pray today that you would give us hope that that can be a possibility for our lives, that you would give us motivation, accountability, help, that we may cling to you because you have clung to us. And we ask along the way, Lord, that you would help us to just be willing to confess our need for you over and over again, all the way to heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.